time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. Before, before I jump into it and I introduce myself, it is an honor, it is a privilege to be here. I don't know how many churches you guys been to. I've been to a whole bunch, and it's pretty incredible to see what God's doing here. Uh, can we please put our hands together for your senior pastor, Pastor Brady, who's allowed all this to go on? I mean, I, I think we should honor. Yeah. And I know he gave me just such a beautiful introduction, but I'm not sure you realize that uh, your youth pastor is a living legend. Uh, he sparks prayer movements. Uh, he leads one of the greatest conferences there is, and he's one of the greatest youth pastors alive. Can you please put your hands together for your youth pastor, Pastor David Perkins? Love you, man. Your whole team, you guys are incredible. It's an honor to be here. My name is Chris Derso. I'm a youth pastor from New York City, and I oversee an incredible ministry called Youth Explosion. My father is my senior pastor, and I'm just excited to be doing what I'm doing. Now, as you can tell, I am a long ways from home, so I need you guys to help me out. Who's willing to help me out tonight? Yeah. Here's the thing. Back in Youth Explosion, we like loud preaching. Uh, we like when people get into it, so I want to encourage you to do so tonight. And I don't, I don't care how you get down. I don't know what you guys do in Colorado Springs. Uh, you could yell at me. That's cool. You could say, drop it like it's hot. I like that. You could say, preach it, white boy. I'll respond to that. I, I, that does not bother me. But one of the things that we say back home in New York City is we say the word preach when we like the preaching. But we don't, we don't just say it any old way. We actually say it in a real high-pitched voice. Uh, we kind of arch our back, uh, and sometimes we make that ugly face. You know that ugly face when you like the preaching? You know what I'm talking about? That. You know what I'm talking about? We say like this. We say, preach. That's what we say. And I, yeah, if you could just help me feel like I'm in New York City. We're family. We're going to do this thing together. I just want to hear you say preach one time. So I'm going to count to three, and when I say it, I just need one corporate preach. I want to see how good you guys can do this. One, two, three. Amazing. You guys are incredible. Amazing. All right, listen, I need you to get your Bibles out. I need you to get your notepads out. I need you to get a pen. If you're old school, number two pencil. Awesome. If you want to go to the memo section of your Blackberry, iPhone, Blueberry, whatever, it's cool. I just want you to go there, and I want to encourage you to take down notes, because I really believe that this word that I'm going to preach to you tonight uh, is for you. You're here on purpose, for a purpose. God has created you for this time, and I'm excited to be able to share with you guys. You guys ready for me to start? Let me say, preach one time. Beautiful. Would you close your eyes just for a moment? Close your eyes. Don't be scared. I know I'm from New York, but I'm not going to take your wallet. In New York, we will take your wallet with your eyes open, so it doesn't matter. So, if you could just keep your eyes closed just for a second. And I want you to envision with me an airport. And imagine that you are pulling up to this airport. And as you pull up to this airport, you open the door and you exit the car. You go to the trunk of the car and you get your bags. You say bye to whoever it is that dropped you off, your mom, your dad, your boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever. Now you're walking towards the entrance of this airport. As you enter the airport, you approach the ticket counter. You pull out your ID 
You hand them your bag. They hand you back your ticket. Now you are walking towards security. You're online for security. You're going through security. They're telling you to take off your shoes. They're telling you to take your laptop out of your book bag or the change out of your pocket. You do so. You put it on the conveyor belt. You walk through security. You make it through just fine. You get dressed. Now you are walking through the corridors of this airport. I want you to imagine this. Imagine as you're walking through the corridors of this airport, you're just noticing a whole bunch of people. You're noticing some people online for Starbucks. You're noticing some other people that just landed. They just arrived. They're pulling out their cell phones and they're calling their loved ones, telling them that they're going to be outside in a few moments and that they're excited to see them. And then you notice another group of people. This group is running past you, almost pushing you, shoving you to the side because they're nervous that they might miss their flight. But you... You're fine. You make it to your gate. You sit down. You even pull out your cell phone. You have time to tweet that you made it to your gate. You're waiting for them to call your section. So you just sit there. And then finally your time comes. You stand up. They've called your section. You have your ticket in hand. And now you are waiting online to board this plane. The person ahead of you goes. And now it's your turn to hand the ticket to the flight attendant. You're gripping it so hard and you step to the side because you realize in that moment that you're scared to fly. So you never get on the plane. You're scared of the turbulence. You're scared of the ups and downs. So you never make your flight. Would you open your eyes? I would like to suggest to you that some of you, some of you have been treating this church, DSM, your spiritual life like that airport. I mean, you show up, you're at the right place, you have everything you're supposed to, but you're scared to take flight. You're scared of the turbulence. You're scared of the ups and downs. So you allow that to keep you where you're at. I want to read to you a very famous quote from a very famous theologian, a doctor by the name of Dr. Seuss. He says this in his very famous commentary on life, all the places you will go. He says, you won't lag behind because you'll have the speed. You'll pass the whole gang and soon you'll take the lead. And wherever you fly, you'll be the best of the best. And wherever you go, you will top all the rest. I'm sorry to say so, but sadly it's true. The bang-ups and hang-ups can happen to you. Even a secular children's author understands that in life you're going to take flight, but you're also going to go through some hang-ups and some bang-ups. But even though you go through these bang-ups and hang-ups, that does not mean that you shouldn't take off. Tonight, tonight, you are in the perfect place to take off. And I want to encourage you to make sure that you're not allowing anyone to distract you. You're not laughing at jokes in about the third row. And you're paying attention to everything being said because I want you to know that this word that's going to be preached to is for you. I promise you, I want you to receive it. Because God wants you to take flight. Tonight, you are in the perfect place to take off. The message that I'll be preaching to you tonight is titled, Oh, the Places Misfits Go. Would you pray with me? Father God, we come before you right now, and we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity, O oh God, to gather in your name. We thank you, O oh high God, that we get to worship you and honor you, O oh Father God, and that you receive our worship. We thank you for this church and all the great things that you're doing. We thank you for the pastors here and the leadership and all the volunteers, O oh Father. 
We pray, oh God, that you meet us tonight. We pray that you speak to us tonight, oh Father. God, that you deal with the things that we have yet to deal with so that we can go wherever it is that you want us to go. In Jesus' name we say, amen and amen. I'm a youth pastor of a great ministry called Youth Explosion. And about three years ago, God gave us this term, this phrase called misfit. And I know you guys just finished up a series called Misfits, and I heard it was incredible, and I'm pretty scared to preach to you guys right now because you just got the most incredible preaching from one of the greatest pastors alive, but bear with me. I hope that it'll be good. But I'm excited. I'm excited to to, to share with you what God put on my heart uh, in regards to misfits because I believe I'm in a room of misfits, am I not? That, that, that sounded pretty weak, Colorado Springs. Am I in a room of misfits? Seriously. Oh, okay. And I, I'm privileged because I got to write a book uh, titled Misfit. And I just brought three that I wanted to give away to you guys. So here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to put one here. I'm going to put one here. Up, oh, up, oh, up. Oh. You can't be in the front row. We're wearing sandals. I'm just kidding. Um, And I'm going to put one here. Because I don't want anyone to hate me, if you don't get the book, it's on you. It's not on me. I want you to get into the game tonight. And I want to encourage you, the first person, to the first three people to run up here and grab this book off the stage when I count to three, this book could be yours. One. Pretty excited about this. Two. Uh, security. Three. Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who, who are the winners? Who are the winners? Who, who won the three books? We got one right here. We got a guy. We got a girl. And we got... Uh, The guys are victorious tonight. Fellas, put your hands together for yourselves. And listen, I I talk about this a lot in the book, and I believe if you're a misfit, this this book is your playbook uh, throughout life. So I want to encourage you guys to go out and get it. But here's how I define the book misfit. Here's how I define the word misfit in the book. If you're taking notes, write this down. It says this, one who's uncomfortable with his or her surroundings and is seen to be disturbingly different than others. A misfit is one who's uncomfortable with his or her surroundings and is seen to be disturbingly different than others. I would like to suggest to you tonight that we as Christians should feel like misfits. We should feel uncomfortable with our surroundings. We should feel uncomfortable living in a world that lives contrary to the teachings of Jesus Christ. We should feel uncomfortable knowing that there is bullying going on in our high schools and over social media networks. And as a result, kids are cutting themselves and hurting themselves and committing suicide. We should feel uncomfortable knowing that there are parts of this world that have unclean drinking water. 
We should feel uncomfortable knowing that there are false prophets telling people that the world is going to end. And as a result of it, people are committing suicide and they're buying into these false campaigns. We should feel bothered knowing that our schoolmates aren't here attending DSM. We should feel bothered knowing that there are people in our school that have yet to hear the true gospel. We should feel bothered knowing that there are people that have this false ideology of who Jesus is, all because of bad preaching and unhealthy churches. We should feel bothered knowing that we are part of one of the greatest churches in the world and salvation could be offered to them but they just have to get here there are certain things in this world that should cause us to feel uncomfortable we should feel bothered by these things but we should feel so bothered by it that we do something about it See, I don't want to be a part of just another meeting that just talks about the things that are wrong in this world. I want to do something about it. I don't want to be uncomfortable with the sake of being uncomfortable. I want to do something about it. I want to identify what it is that causes me to feel uncomfortable, and I want to run towards it. Because misfits, we run towards the thing that causes us to make us uncomfortable. We run towards the things that everyone else ignores. We invite the ones that everyone considers an outcast. Why? Because we know that each and every one of us were created to worship Jesus Christ. And there's not only a calling on my life, but there's a calling on their life. But how will they ever receive the calling if they don't ever get to him? We should feel uncomfortable about certain things, but we need to do something about it. Always allow your discomfort to propel you towards change. Always allow your discomfort to propel you towards change. Let's not just talk about it. Let's not just wear the t-shirts. Let our actions speak louder than anything else. Let our actions speak louder than our Facebook posts and our tweets. And our MySpace updates if people are still on that thing. Yeah, but Pastor Chris, I'm not really sure I'm a fan of this term, misfit. It sounds really nice, and it sounds really trendy, but it sounds like, you know, I don't know, the Bible according to Urban Outfitters, and I'm not really sure I want to call myself a misfit. Please understand that this is more than a trendy term. This is biblical truth, because in 1 Corinthians 4.10, the Bible declares in the message version, we are the Messiah's misfits. It says, we are the Messiah's misfits. Oh, well, which Messiah? Oh, the only Messiah. The King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who came and who will return for his bride. And his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was in fact a misfit. He was so uncomfortable with the state of this world that he got up off the right hand side of the Father. And he descended to earth. And he lived on this earth for 33 years. Living out the last three years of his life in full time ministry. And as a result dying for our sins. He died as a result of... Of sin. He died as a result of the thing that caused him to be uncomfortable. Jesus Christ was crucified on a cross, a cross that was created from wood, wood that was taken to make it up a tree, a tree that was turned into a cross for that exact purpose. Jesus Christ was a misfit. He is our example, and we are his, and he is ours. So the question is not to be or not to be a misfit. Uh Uh-uh. The question is, as a misfit, what is it that makes me uncomfortable? I want you to write that down. What makes me uncomfortable? And please don't say my high boots and skinny jeans. I'm not referring to that. I'm not talking about my high hair. Leave it alone. 
What makes me uncomfortable? I want you to write that down. What is it in this world that bothers you? What's the very thing that you daydream about changing? What's the thing that just bothers you so much that you want to do something about it? That's the very thing that I want to suggest to you that you were created to approach. Because each and every one of us were created differently. We were made up differently. And the things that bother you may not bother him. And the things that bother her may not bother them. But please understand that you were created to do something about it. You were created for that exact purpose. Well, Pastor Chris, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure where to start. I'm not really sure what it is that, uh, that I'm called to do. Well, let's start with your dreams. What do you dream about? What do you dream about? Please understand that your dreams are the gateway to your future. Your dreams are the very thing that God wants to promise you and he wants to bring to fruition through your life. What is it that you dream about? It's okay to dream. What is it that you dream about? See, your dreams and your discomfort, they go hand in hand. You're uncomfortable about how things are, so you dream about how they could be. What is it that you dream about? I want you to write that down. Because tonight I want to talk to you about a very famous dreamer. A dreamer that we all know about. And his story, his story is found in Genesis. And if you have your Bibles, can you open up to the book of Genesis? And you may not know what Genesis is. That's okay. You could use your table of contents. It's cool. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to get your table of contents between your two fingers. And I want you to flip it over. Genesis is right there. Awesome. We just used our table of contents. Genesis is right there, and I want you to count up to chapter 37. It's amazing how God set the Bible up. It's actually in numerical order. So you just go from one, two, three, yeah, right to 37. You guys are all scholars. Amazing. Let me hear a loud preach when you're there. You guys are already there. Amazing. Genesis chapter 37. It's a story of a, of a young boy named Joseph. And Joseph is is one of many sons, and he's actually his father's favorite, which is weird because he's not the eldest son. He's not the oldest son, which would typically be the favorite son, and he's not the youngest son, which if the oldest son wasn't the favorite, the younger son would be the favorite because that would mean that that son was given to the father in an old age, and they're just so grateful that they have this son. But Joseph was neither the oldest or the youngest. He was one of the younger ones, but he wasn't the youngest, but he was favored by his father. Whether you realize this or not, you are favored by your father. The fact that you're here tonight, a part of this amazing church, shows me that you are favored by your father. And listen, I don't know about your dad. I don't know about what he's done to you. I don't know about your mom. But you are favored by your father. Your heavenly father, he loves you. Your father, he has plans for you. And he wants to see you through. Your father favors you. So Joseph, he was favored by his father, and all his brothers knew this. And Joseph's dad loved him so much that he designed for him this beautiful coat. And the Bible describes to us that this coat was just beautiful in color and elaborate in design. And Joseph receives this coat. And I just imagine, this is just me. I could be completely wrong. I'm not saying that I read this in a commentary or some theologian told me about it. I just imagine Joseph as a brat. 
I do. I imagine him as a bride. I imagine him receiving this coat, kind of like this one, maybe a little bit nicer, whatever. And I just imagine him just, just flaunting it in front of his brothers. You know what I mean? Because you know when other people don't like you. And the Bible is very specific to let us know that his brothers did not like him because they knew that he was his father's favorite. So I could just imagine Joseph walking around with his coat like, hey, you like my coat? Hey, uh, did dad give you anything today? Because he, uh, he gave me something. You like it? I'm actually wearing it right now. You want to touch it? You want me to model it for you? Do you want me to do it like a catwalk? Do you want me to show you my coat? Do you know what I mean? I will model it for you. Go ahead, touch it. T- don't touch it. Just kidding. I don't want you to stain it. Okay. I could just imagine him flaunting this coat in front of his brothers and just being the biggest brat. I mean, it's just how I imagine it. But to make matters worse, not only does he receive amazing gifts, but he also dreams big dreams. And it's crazy because the Bible describes us that he's only 17 years old. And he has these two dreams. And the first dream is this, is that he's, he's standing on a hill with a bundle of wheat. And his brothers are standing down there and they have bundles of wheat. But for some reason, his bundle of wheat stood superior to his brother's bundles of wheat. And his brother's bundles of wheat, say that five times fast, start to bow down to him and his bundle of wheat. And then he has a second dream. And in this dream, the sun, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars start to bow down to him as well. And I remember, I remember stopping reading that and saying, God, why would you allow a 17-year-old boy, a, a teenager, dream such big, hairy, audacious dreams? And God simply replied, because they weren't just good dreams. They were God dreams. They were the dreams that I wanted to show him what it is that I had for him. I wanted to give him a peek into his future so he could see that though there might be tough times ahead, what I have for you is great. There are some of you that have been dreaming some big dreams. Keep dreaming. Hold on to those dreams. Keep those dreams close to you because God has allowed you to dream that way. And I would even like to suggest to you that if your dreams don't seem big or scary, you are not dreaming big enough because our God is the God of the impossible and he is into making the impossible happen. Not so that we can get the glory, uh uh-uh, just so that he can get the glory. So when people look at us in our circumstance and see where we come from, but to see that we come from there and we end up doing that, Well, he'll be the only one to get the glory. So hold on to those dreams. Write down those dreams. Be a good steward of those dreams. But please be careful with what you do to those dreams. Because Joseph, I realized that Joseph made a mistake. Joseph goes on to share his dreams with his brothers. But Joseph, why would you share your dreams with your brothers knowing that they don't like you? I mean, you have the beautiful coat. Why would you share it with them? Because he was a brat, just saying. Why would you share your dreams with your brothers? Why would you share it with your father? See, the Bible never tells Joseph to share the dreams. Now, God did give Joseph the dream, but he never told them to share it. Please be careful with what you do with your dreams. Please stop sharing your dreams with your friends because you have no idea where your friend is that when you're telling them about your dream. See, 
you might be in this just amazing place in the glory of God because you've dreamed these amazing dreams, but your friend has been waiting to hear from God. And as you start to share your dreams with so-and-so, and you're expecting so-and-so to get excited for you, so-and-so is just getting angry, and so-and-so is getting upset because even though you have heard from God, they've been waiting to hear from God. So-and-so has been dying to hear from God. So-and-so has been praying, but so-and-so's time has yet to come. And instead of sowing joy into so-and-so, you just sowed doubt and fear into so-and-so. And now so-and-so is just so-so. Be careful what you do with your dreams. You don't need to blog about your dreams. You don't need to Instagram about your dreams. You don't need to MySpace your dreams. You do not need to post your dreams on Facebook hoping that somebody could like it. You do not need to tweet about your dreams. Please be mindful with what you do with your dreams. Too many of us are looking for other people to press the like button on our dreams because we want them to celebrate us, because, which is completely wrong. Our dreams, when they come to fruition, are to bring all the glory to God. It's never about your glory. It's just the roadmap to your life. Stop looking for other people to co-sign on what God has already signed off on. Hold on to those dreams. Be a good steward of those dreams because God's plans for you are great. But only respond to his call. Be obedient to him. Do what it is that he is telling you to do. You know what happens as a result of it? Joseph, he tells his dreams to his brothers. And because he tells his dreams to his brothers, the Bible describes to us that his brothers start to hate him all the more, the Bible says. They hated him. And look what it says in the Bible. This this verse blows my mind. It says this in verse 18 of 37. But they saw him in the distance. Let me set up the scenario for you. One day, Joseph is home with his dad, and his brothers are out in the field tending the sheep. And his, bro- and his dad says, Joseph, go out and check up on your brothers. Tell me how they're doing, which is mind-blowing to me because it would be good for us to know that when the story opens up in the first line of Joseph's story, the story describes us, the Bible describes us, that Joseph is in the field working with his brothers in the beginning of this story. But now he has a dream and he stays home while his brothers are out working. Just because you have big dreams, it doesn't mean that you have a whole pass in staying home and not working. Just because God has exposed to you what it is that he has for you, it doesn't mean that you're to keep busy. Well, you're not to keep busy. You are to keep busy. You're to keep working the fields. But for some reason, Joseph, being the brat that he was, just saying, stays home and his dad sends him out as a spy says, tell me how your brothers are doing. So listen to what it says after Joseph tells his brothers about the dream and his father sends him into the field to see how they're doing. But they saw him in the distance. And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Can, can you see the damage you could bring upon yourself by prematurely sharing your dreams? By prematurely exposing what it is that God has for you. 
Be a good steward of your words. Be a good steward in your joking and the things that you say. Please be mindful of the things that you're saying and openly sharing and publicizing. But they saw him in the distance. And then the Bible goes on to describe to us that they pick him up. They rip off his beautiful coat, the gift that he received from his father, and they throw him in a ditch. They throw him in a cistern, which is basically a ditch. And they stripped him of his coat, and now they're leaving him there for dead. There are some of you in here, you're in a ditch. There are some of you in here, you're in a low place. And you were afraid that this would happen once you decided to live your life for Jesus. And now you're in this ditch and you're in a low place. And it doesn't matter how you got there, whether you walked in on your own or you were pushed, you are in that ditch right now. God wants you to know that he wants to take you out of that ditch tonight. He wants to rescue you, and he wants to keep you. Yeah, but Chris, you don't know. I've hit rock bottom. I'm at the lowest point there is. Please understand this tonight. There is no ditch deep enough to keep you out of the reach of God. His arms are always long enough. He is always willing to rescue you. He is as close as the mention of his name. This is why it does not matter if man strips you of your gift. He will never strip you of your gifting. Just because man strips you of your uniform... He will never strip you of your position. Just because someone strips away what someone has given you, they can never take away what God has for you. You know why? Because no man is strong enough to push back what God intends to push forward. You don't understand the plans that he has for you. Yeah, it's going to be tough. See, we see Joseph on this high, and now we see him on this low. You're going to go through some stuff. There are going to be some ups and some downs. But as long as he's putting you in the game, then you need to play your position. Listen, you might get hit with a curveball. But we know that you are more than capable of hitting a home run. It's why we put you in the lineup. You might get tossed around on the field, but the ball is being thrown your way because we know that you could make that touchdown. You might get fouled on the court, but we put you in because we know that you have the game-winning shot inside of you. See, when you are on God's side, you are on the winning team, so you will never lose. You might go through some stuff. You might get injured or you might get fouled, but you will be okay because you are on a team that is flawless. You are on a team that has never lost. You are on a team with one of the greatest coaches and directors and guides there is. And as long as you allow the Bible to be your playbook, allow it to be the light unto your feet, then you will be okay. So please get in the game. Please do what it is that you've been called to do because you've been only added to the lineup because you are favored by your father. You are favored by your coach. It doesn't matter what anyone else says about you. He's going to use you to make that touchdown. Get in the game. Play your position. Oh, the places you will go. The things that you will do. People are going to question it. They're going to be shocked when they see that it's you. Little so-and-so from the messed up home. The one with the learning disability. I grew up with a learning disability. I was diagnosed with the highest form of ADD, now known as ADHD. I was on the highest dose of Ritalin there was. Doctors said that there was no chance for me. They said I would never be able to 
graduate from high school. I graduated from high school. They said that I would never pass a class once without getting left behind. I've never been left behind. They said that I would never graduate from college. I graduated from college, and they said that my social skills were out of the question and don't even think about public speaking. Your circumstances not dictate where you'll end up. God will not give you anything more than you can bear. Where you're at now, it's okay. You will make it. He wants to use you. You just have to be willing to be obedient to his calling. We don't run the shots. We just play the plays that are given to us. Get in line under his instruction. Get in the game and do what it is that he is calling you to do. Offer your body as a living sacrifice to our God like Romans 12 describes. But here's the thing about sacrifices. Sacrifices just lay there. They get no say in the process. Too many times we want to say, no, no, no. Are you sure, God? I'm not sure that I want to give up junior high school just yet. I love the ministry too much. I'm not sure that I want to give this up yet. I mean, I'll do what it is that you're calling me to do. I'll do a series on following you, but I'm not going to give this up. And now you're moving around on this altar because you don't want to poke. You don't want him to poke you in that place. Sacrifices get no say in the process. Misfits, we fall in line. You're going to be a good team player. Then you listen to the coach. You get in the game and you do what it is that he has called you to do. You might go through some rough patches, but you will be okay. And now in the story of Joseph, we, it's crazy because now we see this roller coaster effect to start to take place. We see him on top with the beautiful coat that he was strutting around. And then we see him in a ditch, but I know most of you know this story. What happens after the ditch? God rescues him out of the ditch, but not in the way that he thought victory would come. His brothers say, you know what, let's not kill him. Let's just just sell him to some gypsies. See, we don't understand our God because his ways are not our ways, but we do understand this about him. He's never going to fail us. He's always going to see us through. See, you have no idea in the way Calvary is coming for you. But understand that Calvary is coming for you. And you will be okay. And even though Calvary doesn't look like what you pictured it would look like, you are okay. Brothers, pick him up out of the ditch, sell him to some gypsies. The gypsies sell him to basically Potiphar. Potiphar is basically one of the, the high officials in Egypt. And now we see him go from the top to this ditch, now back on top again. But you know what's one of my most favorite things about the story of Joseph? The Bible never notes once that Joseph complained. He went through it all, but he never complained. You know why? Because he knew that God was with him. And the Bible... The Bible makes sure that we understand that because all throughout Joseph's story, it says God was with him. He was with him in the highs, but he's with you in the lows. And he's going to take you right back to the highs again. See, without the lows, you'll never know how to appreciate the highs. And if you only stay on high, well, you're you're going to start thinking that you're doing this all on your own and that there's no need for God. See, failures and mess-ups, it reminds us that we're human. 
Prayer reminds us that we need a God. Call to your God. If you're in pain, reach out to him. He'll rescue you. God was with Joseph. Someone say out loud, God is with me. No, no, like you mean it, desperation. Say, God is with me. God is with you. It's not just a cliche thing to say he loves you. He is mindful of you. He knows every hair on your head. That's why he sent me here to share this word with you. He ends up in Potiphar's house working. Working in this esteemed place. You know what happens? Potiphar's wife gets the looking at him. She starts to think that he looks good. And she's like, my, my, my. He looks a little bit like David Perkins. He is a hottie. (laughs) And now she starts to flirt with him. But here's the crazy thing about Potiphar's wife. Not only was she flirting with Joseph who belonged in the house, but Potiphar's wife, she belonged in the house as well. Which only tells me that you can get mixed up when you're in the house. Whether it's the house you live in or it's the house you worship in. You can get things misconstrued when you're in the house. She got mixed up while she was in the house. She started to peep Joseph trying to holler at him. He comes into the house one day. She wraps her arms around him to seduce him and he breaks out of her arms. And most commentators believe when she stripped off his clothing, his cloak, that he was wearing nothing else. And he ran out of the house naked just to get away from her. I don't know whoever said you had a dress to impress, but I've never found myself more impressed by somebody who's willing to run out of somewhere naked just to get away from that seduction, that temptation. Listen, Satan is going to try to take you out, whether it's a ditch or it's someone seducing you. Those things that you're dealing with at home. Those things that you're dealing with within the home of this church or the home that you sleep in. Listen, there's a Potiphar's wife after each and every one of us because they know what it is that we're capable of. And Satan wants to take you out. But what I love about this story is that Joseph, he resists her. He pushes her away and he runs away because you know what he understood? He understood that even though it was just them two in the house, God was also with them in the house. And I could not disrespect my God. And there's a purpose on my life and I exist to honor my God. And if I bite into that poison, that poison is going to mess with my purpose, and I can't allow anything to mess with my purpose. There are some of you that have been biting into poison. And and you think that it's going to count you out. Before you ever messed up, Jesus Christ died for your sins. You are more than capable. You are okay. He wants to use you. You just have to ask for forgiveness and you will be okay. See, here's the thing. In life, we're going to go through ups and downs, but don't ever quit the game. Get in the game. Oh, the places you will go. How you'll get there, nobody will know. But it's only by the grace of God. We see in Joseph's Life, he ends up, his dreams come true, his brothers bow down to him. But isn't it funny that God never showed Joseph everything that was going to happen in the middle, but he did show him the end? See, God's not going to show you what's going to happen in the middle, but you are going to be okay. You're going to go through some stuff. You're going to deal with some turbulence. You're going to deal with some ups and downs and some rough patches. But the Lord is with you. And listen, 
I really can't hate too much. I've been the guy scared of embracing what it is that God has for me. I've been running from my calling my whole life up until only a few years ago. I felt like I was Simba in The Lion King, running away from my calling. Anyone ever see Simba, uh, Lion King? Am I too old? It's out in the movie. Yeah. Remember the movie? Remember how Simba is next to be king? You guys know what I'm talking about? And there's this position waiting for him, and his father dies. How cruel is Disney? Whatever. And his father dies, and now he's next to be king. They even sang a song about it, right? And then he ends up running away. I felt like Simba running through the wilderness, trying to get away from my calling. You guys remember that scene when he's running through the wilderness, and he runs into those two African dudes? Remember the two African dudes? Yeah, Timon and what's his name? Timon and Pumbaa, and and they teach um they they teach Simba this philosophy. Anyone know the philosophy? <laughs> who who really knows Akuna Matata? Let me see. I think I have one more misfit book for the for the one that really knows Akuna Matata. Who who who's willing to come up here for a misfit book and sing Akuna Matata? All right, the first person up here to touch this mic, it's yours. If you want to sing Akuna Matata, come on. You scared? Oh oh God! Oh God! Okay. Sorry. The guys are victorious. I just want you to sing the chorus of Akuna Matata. It says nothing to do with my sermon. I just want to see if he knows it. Do, do you know it? Wait, you ran up here, you don't know it? J- just the chorus. Akuna Matata, it means no worries. Akuna Matata. Louder. You gotta go louder. Okay, uh, Akuna Matata. It, it, it means no. Well, put, put your hands together for him. So, sorry, buddy. Sing it with everything you got. It's a problem free philosophy. Akuna Matata. Uh, it means no worries for the rest of your days. It's a problem-free philosophy, Akuna Matata. Woo! Put your hands together for her. That was hardly it. That is the stupidest song I've ever heard in my life. In life, there are no problem-free philosophies. There is no such thing as a kuna matata. In life, you're going to deal with some stuff. You're going to go through some ups and some downs. There's going to be some turbulence. But understand that you are the Messiah's misfits. You will be okay. Get in the game and do what it is that he is calling you to do. Because your calling is greater than you understand. You exist to make the truth of Jesus Christ famous, relevant, and attractive. And listen, you're going to deal with some stuff. You're going to go through some turbulence. But listen, he's not asking you to pilot the plane. He's only asking that you get on board. Who's willing to get on board tonight? Who's tired of running? If that's you, I want want you to stand to your feet. Come on. I want you to stand to your feet all over this room. If you're tired of running, if you've been scared to embrace what it is that God has for you, and maybe the worship team could help me. I want you to embrace what it is that God has for you. Romans 12 also declares, by embracing what it is that God has for you, it's the best thing that you could do for him. 
See, you walking into what it is that God has for you has nothing to do with you. It's all about him. And I don't know about you, but I exist to please my God. And if I know that he's my God, and if I'm going to sing songs like my God is greater, my God is stronger, then what's a little trial? What's a little turbulence? See, God's plans are greater for you than you realize. Hold on to those dreams. He's not going to show you what's in between, but you're going to be okay. And some of you, you're here tonight, and you think coming to church is enough. But it's not. You have to embrace what it is that God has for you. You have to do it voluntarily. You have to admit, say, God, my life is yours. I give myself away to you. Whatever it is that you want from me, I'll embrace it. It's going to be scary. It's going to be tough. I might mess up. I might get hurt. But I want to get in the game. I want you to throw me the ball. Even if I'm getting chased down the field, I'm going to run with everything I got. And I promise you, you'll start to run faster than you ever thought, dreamed, or imagined. And he's going to pick you up on wings of eagle and then he's going to bring you to the place that he has for you so that when you get there you could deflect and say it had nothing to do with my skills I'm not even that athletic but God has put me in the game to play my position and because I was obedient to him I succeeded and I made the goal who wants to make all the goals for God who wants to go wherever it is that God has for him who's tired of being scared listen if that's you I want you to get out of your seat and I want you to get as close as this altar as possible because you can't go sitting down. You can't go where you're at. You have to step out and be willing to show God that you're willing to go wherever it is that he has for you. And though it might seem scary, though it might seem dark, you're going to be okay. He is guiding you. He is leading you. His plans for you are greater than you understand. You just have to give your life to him. And over time, This doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. They've got a vision and a mission for their life.